Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Today, Mobius posted a news story on the Joshua P. Warren Daily Facebook page. And uh, which, by the way, he does a great job, all of our researchers do, of posting just weird and amazing stories there all the time. So if you're on Facebook, you've got to keep up with the Joshua P. Warren Daily Facebook page. Today he posted one about Bob Lazar, the famous Area 51 whistleblower, being uh, raided by the FBI. Uh, Now, we're talking about just maybe within the past month or two. I'm not sure exactly when this happened, but I think the story says it happened earlier this month. Uh, I don't think that's correct, and I'll tell you why in a minute. I think it was longer ago than that. But um, this is really weird because Bob Lazar has a company uh, it's a scientific company that produces all kinds of products for people in Michigan. And that is where the FBI showed up for this raid. Well, he came out as a whistleblower in 1989. And so it's really odd that 30 years later, this would happen. But uh, this actually was a part this was this incident was a part of the new movie that came out earlier this month the documentary about bob lazar called bob lazar area 51 and ufos now i'm pretty sure that movie premiered on december the 3rd of this year and i was invited to that premiere unfortunately i could not make it but uh like i say this was featured in the movie So it had to have happened sometime months ago, despite some of these news stories that say it happened sooner. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Bob Lazar has got this company called United Nuclear, and uh, it's a great company. As a matter of fact, years ago, I even purchased one of my first Geiger counters from his company. We corresponded briefly. And uh, it's a great Geiger counter. Uh, It's been on television with me many, many times doing investigations, and I still use it to this day. So Bob Lazar is a guy who really does live his life as a a scientist, a a researcher, an engineer. And he really uh, claims that he's never made a penny off of the whole UFO disclosure thing, and if anything, it's been an annoyance. And Uh, Just in case you're not 100% sure who I'm talking about, you know, Bob Lazar in 1989 sat down with George Knapp, who is an investigative reporter here in Las Vegas, and said that he was fearing for his life because um, he had been hired to reverse engineer extraterrestrial technology at a place called S4, right there near Area 51, and... I think there's a lake bed there called Papoose Lake where they used to do test flights and everything. And um, he felt that this information should be released to the world. Kind of a, an Edward Snowden type mentality, I guess, to a certain degree. And that was supposedly a, a death wish 
Uh, you know, he claimed that you know the, these there was no doubt these were extraterrestrials that he'd seen evidence of alien bodies and this and that and the other. So, um, it, it may be that by coming out and saying all this stuff, he did save his life. I don't know, but he has been shrouded in controversy ever since because, for one thing. He, he, I mean, he speaks very articulately, and to listen to him, you would you would really uh, believe that the guy is who he says he is. He speaks in a very pragmatic, uh, logical, scientific fashion, and he said uh, he says that he has degrees from MIT and Caltech, and that he ended up getting a job as a physicist at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Of course, that's where they developed the nuclear bomb. And uh, then that his work there eventually gave him the opportunity to get hired on as one of these uh, physicists at S4 uh, there around Area 51. But when people started researching his background, first they said, we have no record whatsoever of this guy being at MIT or Caltech or Los Alamos. And so um, the explanation was, well, I, you know, his records have been wiped clean. Well, once these various researchers started digging into it, like George Knapp and uh, even Stanton Friedman and people like that really started looking hard at, at things, they did find that there was evidence that... Um, Bob Lazar worked at Los Alamos. Uh, his name was listed in a directory of employees, and he even was in a uh, a newspaper, in, in a local newspaper article of the time, um, where they said he was, you know, a physicist working at Los Alamos, and I think even one of his superiors was there in the same article, and so it's pretty clear that he did work at, at Los Alamos. But still, nobody's been able to figure out why there is no trace of him attending, uh, much less graduating in any form from MIT or Caltech, which is pretty darn weird. And again, the explanation is supposedly, well, the government immediately went in and wiped clean, expunged all records, all traces of this guy's education, so it will be easier to discredit him. Well, we'll get back to that in a minute as well. So anyway, Bob Lazar, he went on to, uh, after you know, giving his earth-shattering revelations, try to avoid the spotlight, and, uh, and ended up somehow there in Michigan where he opened up his, his company. And over the years, he has been rather shy about this whole thing in fact i felt very fortunate uh, a few years ago i think it was i i think it was 2015 uh i spoke for the second time at the international ufo congress which is now being held in arizona the first time i spoke it was in laughlin nevada but um i had a big big successful event there and that was the first time ever that Bob Lazar, and this was the highlight of the whole thing, Bob Lazar, he came and sat on stage in front of George Knapp, and they did a live interview, and it was absolutely fascinating, and the, I mean, the room was packed, Lauren and I had great seats, and we agreed that he seemed completely believable, you know, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts, he really did seem completely believable, 
And, uh, you know, one of the thing I always say, I believe that was the weekend they had the Academy Awards. And I said, if this guy's lying, he deserves the Academy Award this weekend. So anyway, um, I also believe that that same year that I was speaking, one of the speakers was the filmmaker, Jeremy Corbell. Uh, now, to be completely accurate, he has four names. His name is Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell. And he's made some really interesting documentaries. He is uh, close to my age. I believe he's there in his early 40s or thereabouts. And so he latched on to, you know, this idea of capturing the story of Bob Lazar in a new way and what it has now become. So, again, I was invited to the premiere earlier this month. I could not make it, but the movie is now available through various means like uh, Amazon.com, iTunes, and so... I bought the movie. Uh, I can't remember how much it cost. It was like, you know, maybe at the most $15. And watched it intensely from beginning to end. So I'm going to kind of give you my review of this movie. Now, I will tell you that uh, the movie apparently has been watched by a lot of people. I mean, it's it's been a big success in terms of that. And from what I can tell... All of the viewer reviews have been good. Most of the critics, however, do not like it at all. I mean, I've been going through reading what critics have said about it, and uh, they're they're pretty ruthless. Um, and one of the things that they they criticize is something that I think becomes obvious when you start watching the movie. I don't know Jeremy Corbell, but I will tell you that he not only is as a filmmaker but he he lives i guess around la and he considers himself to be a contemporary artist if you go to his wikipedia page that's what it says anyway it says he's a contemporary artist and i even had to click on that and say what exactly is a contemporary artist it says contemporary artists work in a globally influenced culturally diverse and technologically advancing world their art is a dynamic combination of materials methods concepts and subjects that continue the challenging of boundaries that was already well underway in the 20th century diverse and eclectic uh contemporary art as a whole is distinguished by the very lack of a uniform organizing principle ideology or ism Okay, so the reason I bring this up is when you watch this movie, you can see what they're saying. You can see that the filmmaker, Jeremy Corbell, and uh, because I don't don't want to make this podcast too long, so I'm only going to say two of his names when I, instead of four of them, but Jeremy Corbell, he really was doing his best to make this documentary very artistic. And, of course, we're used to watching documentary-style stuff on TV, where it's just like, usually, uh, well, you know, here's the situation, here's where we are, here's what's happening, A, B, C, D. And uh, and, and that's actually kind of a nice, refreshing way of, of telling a story. But he, he is an artist. And so 
there uh th- this film is is framed within like you know his experience not only exploring this subject matter but also there are these cutaways with all kinds of graphics and stock film footage and stuff like that which uh, has a a voiceover of uh, poetry and philosophy from Mickey Rourke in kind of a low mumbling voice. It is odd. Okay, it's it's definitely odd. And uh, and the filmmaker, you know, he he in, injects himself quite a bit into the story. And so, you know, it's it is it's an unusual documentary. And I can see why that a lot of the critics have said, "What is this?" you know, and they they, they didn't care for it. But what I can tell you uh, is that I enjoyed watching the movie, and I enjoyed watching it primarily because I have been following Bob Lazar as long as Jeremy Corbell has, and I've been really interested in this guy's story, and now it's really cool to see, you know, he's 59 years old, Bob Lazar is 59 years old, and and it's cool just to see like a little insight into his life i mean uh the filmmaker takes us to his house and we get to see sort of what his house looks like as he's milling around his house and you know the, everything right down to like the beer he's drinking and stuff like that which is just you know little simple stuff that gives you a little insight into what a person's real life and personality is like you get to go into his laboratory, United Nuclear, which looks very impressive. You know, I mean, it's a really nice facility he's got there. You get to hear from some of the people who know him, like, well, his mother is interviewed, and I believe his sister and a neighbor or two. And so, I mean, it it texturizes and humanizes the guy in a very interesting way. And at the same time, you know, Bob Lazar is telling... The story of what happened to him over and over in various ways, and it gets pretty detailed uh, at times. Uh, I mean, he sits down and he draws a picture of a flying saucer and breaks it down and says, "Here are all the parts, and here's what they do, and here's how I think it. You know, basically, it works overall, but we don't know how this works, and that works, and this works, and that works, and so." And then also there are some surprises, like, for example, the filmmaker presents some pictures of this hand scanner that Bob Lazar apparently had talked about having to go through every day to get access to S4, but uh, did not believe that a picture existed. And so the filmmaker presents some pictures he found, and, and Lazar is really amazed that he says, yep, this is it, you know, this is this is more evidence of what I was telling you. So, I mean, there are some, you know, there are lots of gems in there, and again, if you're into to Bob Lazar and Area 51 and all that sort of thing, then you there's no way you cannot like this movie, because it gives you that level of, of of humanizing depth that you're not going to get anywhere else. Visually, it looks fantastic. You know, the quality's wonderful. Um, and so, um, I've read again a lot of the criticisms, 
and uh, well, I, guess, I guess I'll save that. Let, let me let me first say, okay, as the movie is going along, it becomes you know revealed that um, there, of course, there's this element that Lazar talked about in 1989 called uh, Element 115, which he said was the key to producing the gravity warping engines that would allow these UFOs to fly. And at that time, there was no such thing as an element 115. But now, guess what? All these years later, in the meantime, over the past 30 years, finally, it's now been discovered, so to speak, quote-unquote. It's proven there is an element 115. Now, they say that it is extremely unstable. That's what scientists will tell you which does not necessarily agree with what he was talking about, saying that it's a very, very stable thing. But in the documentary, Corbell says that uh, he talked to a bunch of physicists, and they say there's no reason that this couldn't be stabilized. So this element 115 is, is a real key to the FBI situation because Corbell starts out the movie with you know getting texts from Bob Lazar saying oh you're not going to believe this we're, we're, I'm, my place is being raided by the FBI you know like like they've been talking to each other doing this movie for months and now all of a sudden out of the blue out of nowhere the FBI comes and raids the place and uh, quite a coincidence and, and he sends a couple of snapshots or at least that's how it's presented in the movie that looks like a couple of FBI type people in the in the place um, during the raid, but that's the only visual we get of the, the actual raid. And then, so this comes back around at the end of the movie. Um, the filmmaker goes back and says, "Oh my gosh, uh, tell you know, tell tell me uh, what happened here." And Lazar and his employee claim that. Uh, it, as most FBI raids, uh, happened quite out of the blue. That one day, uh, Lazar was walking up to his office, uh, his, as usual, his building, and uh, he was fumbling to get his keys, and all of a sudden, boom, SWAT-type guys appear, and they said that the people from every agency you can imagine poured into the place. There was standing room only, and uh, they searched through everything, and they claimed that they were doing all of this to obtain a document. A document from like two years ago that regarded the possibility that Bob Lazar, through his company, had sold something uh, illegal or dangerous to a customer. And so, of course, Bob Lazar is saying, well, come on, you know, why would you do all that if, you know, for to get a hold of a piece of paper? He said, you know, it was like such overkill, it seemed ridiculous. And so what they sort of pointed out was that there's been a rumor that Bob Lazar actually stole a little piece of this element 115 and has had it all these years 
and that this is now you know something they've taken seriously and now that he started doing this documentary they're implying that the real reason that the FBI has rushed in here to do this raid is because they're trying to see you know if he's got it and if he does they want it and if they've got it and they uh, can I, I guess they can come in and shut down the documentary uh, if they confiscate all the footage as evidence or something like that I mean you know I mean it's possible certainly possible and in the movie and I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it here for you a little bit you know you can stop listening to the podcast if you're not interested in me spoiling it a little but uh, uh, at one point you know after this um, the filmmaker sits down with Bob Lazar and says well okay well let's address this rumor that you possibly stole a piece of this element 115 and have it in your possession and Lazar just shuts him right down and says I don't want to talk about that and so Corbell pushes him a little bit more and Lazar says I this uh, we're not going to have this conversation so you just won't talk about it okay so all right so we, we 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 leave with a big question mark in the air so that's what this news story is about um is the you know whether or not uh, well I guess him being raided for something and and the interesting timing of it coinciding with this documentary coming out so all right all that said let me tell you some of the things once again that I liked but some of the things that I still find fishy about this documentary and the way it was done I like again being able to see Bob Lazar's life on a personal level because he is such an extraordinary guy who is making such an extraordinary claim and seems so believable and I want to believe him I really want to believe him and if I had to to say do you believe Bob Lazar or not right now I would say yes I believe what he's saying is true but it's not just because of what he's saying it's because of how it also seems to fit nicely with a lot of other information that that has come from other sources about the same thing about the same subject so and, and a lot of what he talks about makes sense so i mean if he were the only person in the world who were saying this stuff then you'd still have to, to be a little bit uh you know uh, reserved in how you felt but what he's saying now in context of everything else that the government has put out especially over this past year with the uh, advanced aviation or advanced aerospace threat identification program ATIP and all that I mean it, I now have no doubt that what he's saying is primarily true um, but uh, even though it, it's it's nice to listen to him tell his story at a more mature age there are still a couple of things that bother me about this situation number one uh in the documentary corbell asks him well people say you know you there's no evidence that you graduated from mit or caltech uh, there's nothing in the apparently in the yearbook or the records or whatever and Bob Lazar gets a little bit um, uh, prickly 
and he says, well, what difference does that make? He says, he says, do you think they would have hired somebody straight out of high school to work at Los Alamos? Do you think they would have hired somebody straight out of, because, because this was, we've established that he was at Los Alamos. So he says, do you think they would have hired somebody out of high school to work at Los And then, and then they kind of just blow over that. And George Knapp goes, oh, yeah, there was this guy I talked to who used to drop him off at Caltech, and, you know, maybe he was going to the library, but I doubt it. Well, look, uh, graduating from MIT is a big deal. And graduating from Caltech is a big deal. And if you've graduated from both of those places, it's very difficult for me to understand how there can be no empirical, tangible, you know, in-hand proof of this. Pictures, uh, some kind of, you know, record in, in, in the media. Uh, how, you should find professors who taught him, people he knew people who were at the graduation what no you, your mom didn't take pictures at your graduation from MIT you know he interviewed the guy's mom he, he interviewed Bob Lazar's mom and and, and didn't include in the movie like hey uh, did you take pictures when your son graduated from you know one of the most prestigious places in the universe here now, Bob Lazar blows this off. He's like, well, that, that doesn't matter. He says, if you want to focus on that, that there's, there's you know, who, my background there, and, you know, so go for it. He says, but that's just a distraction. What you should focus on is what I'm telling you about what happened. So he's saying that, you know, my credibility in that regard, the schools I graduated from, should have no impact whatsoever on these other things that I'm telling you. But I, I'm sorry, folks. It does. It does. Because he's not showing us the stuff that he is telling us is true. All he's doing is giving us a story. And so if he is a, a liar, then, well, this may be a pattern throughout his life. And so it's, if you're going to lie about graduating from MIT or Caltech, I mean, that's a pretty big lie you'd have to be quite bold to do that that's why it's sort of unbelievable that's that he would be lying about it and the concept that the government could go in and wipe out every trace of that is is quite extraordinary so if i were going to make a movie about bob lazar uh, a part of the movie would be me as the filmmaker especially since jeremy corbell is very happy inserting himself so visibly into this movie a big part of it would be me going to the campus of these places i would travel to the campus of mit to the campus of caltech and i would document this is a whole section of the the movie where i'm sitting down and talking with whoever i can get my hands on i'm in the library i'm digging through stuff i'm saying who who are the professors who would have been here at the time who would have been present at the graduation i mean like i would have that would have been a big part of this documentary for me is trying to establish that and if you because if you could establish that then you could put that in the movie and come out and say man look how sloppy all of you lazy ass researchers have been all these years shame on you 
for you know insulting this guy all you had to do was get your fat lazy ass over here and go to the library and talk to the people in the records department and then you'd see for yourself there's a ton of evidence that the guy went here but that's not even a part of the movie so that was one big problem that i have i do believe that that is a significant element when you're establishing the credibility of a guy's story the second thing about the the way the story was told that i had a bit of of an issue with is okay so lazar says oh they that look the fbi have come here and they have raided this place and he sent a couple of screenshots that looked like something, yeah, you know, you might have been able to pull off the internet of like the back of somebody wearing an FBI t-shirt or something. Like, I'm not casting any aspersions here, but what I am saying is that when the filmmaker goes to interview Bob Lazar and his employee after this happened, and they're both telling the story of what a huge uh, situation this was where there was hundreds of people from agencies all over the place who were there, um, standing room only, going through everything. Well, for one thing, at, at one point when Bob Lazar is telling this, you can see what looks like a security camera mounted above his head. And I guarantee you, if I had a lab like Bob Lazar's, that was as well known as Bob Lazar's, I would have some security cameras in there. So I I would imagine that he would have some of his own footage of this. And yet there is no footage shown whatsoever of this raid taking place. That's never addressed. Okay, I'm making a movie. I need to show things. This is a major part of the movie, this FBI raid. Well, where's <laughs> show me the raid. What, the news didn't pop up and cover this? You don't have anything on your security camera. I mean, if if he'd been like, "Well, look, I got I do have the whole thing videotaped, but I don't want to release this because there's an ongoing investigation." But okay, fine. I'd say I understand. The next thing I would do is I would go to all the authorities in the area. I go to the police department, the sheriff's department. I go to the courthouse, and I would at least ask and document me asking what the hell's going on here? You know, I'm a journalist or I'm a filmmaker or call yourself, I'm a contemporary artist. Whatever you want to tell. Say, I want to know as a matter of public record if this even happened. Okay, you don't have to tell me what the charges were. But can you confirm for me as much as possible about, you know, whether or not there was any type of an operation um, an investigation, a ray, an event, an incident that happened at this day, at this time. What about other people in the community who may have witnessed this? You don't think people driving by in, in cars or neighbors or what? I mean, like, it's just like there's a huge gaping vacuum, a huge hole there that you would want to to fill visually if you're making a movie. You don't have to find all the answers, but you at least have to show that you have done a good, thorough job of looking for the answers, and that's missing as well. So, again, that said, I enjoyed the movie. 
I do think that Bob Lazar is telling the truth uh, about what he experienced, but um, regardless of that, I still don't buy the, the story of his education being completely the way he tells it, and I think that this FBI raid is being exaggerated for dramatic purposes in the movie. Uh, at least that's the way it comes across. So anyway, that stuff said, I still think you should watch this movie if you are into his story. And I mean, there are some really thought-provoking moments. I found it enjoyable. Um, it is weird when he does the artistic, you know, philosophical poetry and cuts away to all these sort of like mystical, eclectic, metaphysical graphics and stuff as Mickey Rourke is is talking. Um, But the movie, again, is called Bob Lazar, Area 51 and Flying Saucers. And uh, I want to make it clear, you can probably tell, I don't have a direct connection with anybody involved in this. But uh, I watched it on Amazon, and if you are into this stuff, you follow this stuff, I think you'll find it interesting. So, that's what I think about that, and if, I, uh, if, if more information comes out, you know, I'm more than happy to talk about it. Especially now that I am here in Las Vegas, and, you know, I've had some of my own contacts tell me certain things about what's happening around Nellis Air Force Base, Area 51, S4, Papoose, Groom Lake, you know, all that stuff. But uh, listen, here's the thing that I want to, to also tell you I'm excited about. Tomorrow night, this is going to be Thursday night, December the 27th at 8 p.m., I'm going to be back at the roulette table for phase two of my roulette experiment. Now, last Thursday, when I did this, I conducted a survey, and I said, do you think it's going to hit on red, black, or green? And the majority said they thought it would hit on red. So I went there, I put a $20 bet on red, and it won. So I was like, okay, we're off to a good start. Well, tomorrow night, when I go, this time I'm going to do two spins, and I've only asked the people who were correct last time to participate in what tomorrow night's is going to be. So I I put up a link for those who were correct last time to continue the experiment. If you weren't correct, okay, well, sorry, I don't want you to be involved anymore. But if you were, you know, you can follow that link and you can cast your vote. Is the first spin going to be red, black, or green? Is the second spin going to be red, black, or green? And then, tomorrow night, afterward, I'll post and say, okay, here were the correct answers. Those of you who are correct, go to this link for the next time I do it, where there will be three spins. And, of course, I'm going to continue this until I have a selection of people who have been correct ten times in a row. And that is when I'm going to go and cast the big bet and try to get each of us as much money as possible, maybe even a million dollars a piece. So, that said, it's not too late if you are one of the people who was correct. If you guessed red last week, then 
go to my Twitter page. You'll find a link where you can cast your vote for what it's going to be on the two spins tomorrow night. Now, again, I'll be doing this at 8 p.m. Pacific time tomorrow night. I know you'll be curious. So uh, if I can get a good signal at the casino, then I will um, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll tweet it what the correct answer is. So this is a cool experiment. And let me tell you, if tomorrow night, the majorities get it right again. I'm going to feel even better about how this is going. This this is pretty darn cool. So, uh, gosh, there's so much going on. This year is going to be absolutely insane. And it's I'm glad that you're, you're understanding the stuff that I'm working on is kind of all over the place. And uh, it's easy for me to ramble and get carried away. But, hey, you, you're going to be absolutely amazed by some of the stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you over 2019. I was doing experiments last night. I know it was Christmas, but I couldn't help it. I was doing experiments last night, and I made a breakthrough on something. And this is something that I'm going to be sharing with you very soon, and you're going to be the first people in the world to experience it because, and only because, you listen to this podcast. And I want you to keep listening, and so you get the goodies first. You get the front row seat, so I'm going to be sharing some really interesting stuff with you soon. So, you know my website is joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P if you go to joshuapwarren.com. I hope you'll go there, check out all the cool stuff I've put there for you. Look at the curiosity shop. You can do your own experiments. I got an email today from a guy who said, you know, I, I, uh, I bought Shelly Wright's money potion. He said, if I spray this on a money sigil, what do you think will happen? I said, I don't know. I've never done it, but that's a darn good idea. Let's do it. Let's do it as an experiment. Spray your money potion on a, a money sigil. I have another student who just graduated from my online paranormal investigator course, and uh, he's excited. Uh, he emailed me and said, hey, I'm ready to open up, a, a create my own website and uh, become an affiliate and sell some of your products. I said, great, we'll get you started. So, you know, you just never know what you're going to find there if you go to joshuapwarren.com and visit the Curiosity Shop. But that is also on that webpage where you'll find a link to this podcast called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's always short. It's always free. It's independent. It's uncensored. You can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So, that said, thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.